She knows better. <laughs> Bye. 
one more, page 125. Let's all stand. appreciate you being here tonight. Let me make a few announcements, then we'll take up our prayer request. Um, this coming Sunday after morning service, 
Sister, uh, Sister, what's her name over there that sits over there sometimes? Janet. Yes, she asked me to make an announcement tonight about a youth play practice this coming Sunday right after um, morning service. So remember that. Um, and that's about it. Remember, remember, we've got our uh, collection basket going. And we're asking everyone that will to bring green beans, mac and cheese, cranberry sauce, or stuffing. And uh, we're asking for those things in particular so that we can give all the baskets out in uniform. So anyway, remember all of that. Our prayer list tonight, we've already got a lot on our prayer list. We need to continue praying for Sister Carolyn Watkins. Sister Peggy Phillips is still in the hospital, and we need to pray for her. Uh, Brother Dave Weeks and Brother Jerry and I, two missionaries. Janet Dodd called Debbie today, and, and she's had another sister uh, pass away just out of, uh, out of nowhere. She passed away, wasn't expected to, but we need to pray for the Janet Dodd's family. Also, we need to pray for the Florida residents. We've actually got some of our people down there. Nathan and Kim are down there on their uh, uh, wedding anniversary and uh, or their honeymoon, whatever you want to call that. And they're down there, but we need to really pray for all those in Florida that God would be with them. Matt Harrell and Hannah Hurd. How about your prayer request tonight? Anybody on your heart tonight? Yes. Okay. Okay. Anything else on anyone's hearts tonight? Mike, who? Gotcha. All right, y'all don't start tonight now. <laughs> the troublemakers right back there, both of them, I'm telling you. <laughs> Anything else on anyone's heart tonight? Anything else tonight? Well, let's do this. Let's all gather around these altars and let's pray for these prayer requests and asking God's blessings upon them. And uh, if you need to get a study sheet or bring your missionary offering, you do that as well.
most gracious How we need him tonight. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Amen, amen. Let's be taking our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. I do want to read some scripture from the, from the Bible uh, with you tonight before we get into our study sheets. And, and uh, I think it'd just be befitting tonight to read the whole context of what we're going to be studying. And Testing one, testing, testing one, two. Is that it? Those guys up there do a tremendous job. Tremendous job. Thank y'all for what you do. Acts chapter two. Thank you for all the noise y'all make up there and all that too. Amen. It's all Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Acts chapter 2 tonight. I want you to read along with me as we read. I'm going to begin in verse number 36 and read through verse 41. I want you to just watch it real closely as we, as we consider, especially Acts 2.38. Now, Acts 2.38 is a, 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 it's a proof text for the church of Christ that baptism is the means of salvation. Let's learn some things tonight about this verse, and I, and I pray that putting it in context and keeping it where it is in the Bible, I pray that it'll be a blessing to you and help you to better understand exactly what's going on in Acts chapter number 2. I want you to look there, beginning in verse number 36 with me. It says, therefore, remember Peter's preaching. He's preaching, matter of fact, in tongues. He's preaching in his the Aramaic language. They're understanding him in several different languages. The Holy Spirit is doing the interpreting for him. And he's finishing up his sermon, and he says this in verse number 36. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, look at this, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we looked at that last Wednesday night, what it means for Jesus to be both Lord and Christ. Now, to carry on in verse number 37, it says it like this. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, and be ye baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Let's read that again. I want you to really understand what Peter is saying to these Jewish people. It said, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. And to your children, speaking to the Jewish nation of Israel, 
For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off and as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, look at this, were baptized. And the same day uh, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a revival. What a meeting they had that very first day of the, of the church. And we want to we wanna study and we're going to really center in on Acts 2.38 tonight and try our best to understand exactly what's going on in, the, in, this, in this text. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll begin our study together. Our Father tonight, Lord, we love you so much, Lord, and thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us all. And Father, tonight as we do undertake the study, I pray that, Lord, you'd open our eyes of understanding that, Lord, we might understand exactly what you did this day of Pentecost. And God, help us with the help of God, Lord, to, to learn it in a way, God, that we could help others with it. We love you so much, Lord, and thank you for being so kind and gracious to us all. We're thankful for everything that you'll do tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask, and all of God's people said, Amen and amen. Let's look at our study sheets together and consider these verses together. The first message of the church has now been preached by a bold and converted man named Simon Peter. Peter had his issues and problems, but one thing was clear. He loved Jesus Christ and was willing to make his life count for him. It had not always been this way in Peter's life. One day, Jesus told Peter that he would be converted and then he would be able to strengthen others. We read about this in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, where it says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast, uh, shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. It took the failures of Peter to bring about this conversion in his life. But thank God the failures were short-lived. Some of God's people never do allow the prayers of Jesus to affect their lives. But Peter was not one of them. What, Peter, what Jesus was praying for was mightily manifested in the life of Simon Peter. And now God can use him to strengthen others. Peter preaches. Others listen and respond. And God gets the victory. That is the whole jest of preaching. To some, this is absurd, but it is God's way. We read this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, which are saved, it is the power of God. Peter has preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now it is time for the listeners to respond. There are some amazing things to learn as Simon Peter issues the very first gospel invitation. 
Let's, let's read about Peter's response to these. It says, we'll read it again. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Let's first consider this, this thought of repentance. When the crowd asked Peter what they should do, they were asking a very serious, sincere question. They have realized that they're guilty before God and they know they need to do something to make this thing right. Peter's response has, has confused many throughout the years, but we must remember that the book of Acts is a transitional book. The crowd standing before Simon Peter is mostly Jewish and they have been raised in the law of God all their lives. The law was black and white. If you did this, you do that. If you committed this sin, you offer this sacrifice. But now the most outstanding thing about this first notable transition is that Peter does not refer them to any law. For none covered this particular crime. They were guilty of crucifying God's son. What could they possibly do to appease God for this horrific crime? The law is now insufficient for this crowd. So the first notable transition is from law to what? Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. Repentance is both an Old Testament and New Testament doctrine. The first one in the Bible to repent was God himself. The first time the word repent is used is found early in the book of Genesis. As early as Genesis 6.6 6 is the first time the word repent is used. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. From this verse, we understand that repentance affected God's heart. It grieved him at his heart. The word grieved means to displease, to hurt, to be sorry. Repentance affects the heart. The second thing we learn about repentance is found in God's response to what was affecting his heart. We read about this in verse 7 of Genesis 6. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I've made them. God's reaction was a change of mind. This is the response that repentance should achieve. God felt sorrow in his heart and he changed his mind. True repentance will affect the heart and will change the mind of the one repenting. Repentance is carried into the New Testament as a must for salvation. Both John the Baptist and Jesus preached repentance. In Matthew 3 verse 1 and 2. We read this, in those days came John the Baptist 
preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in Matthew 4, 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus said these words in Luke 13, verse 3, and he also said the same words in verse 5 of that text, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That is the first thing Peter tells this crowd to do. Repent. When they learned that they were guilty of crucifying their Lord and Messiah, it brought sorrow to their heart and they needed to change their minds about Jesus. Their hearts and minds needed to be right with God and repentance was the only way to fix it. Repentance is the missing note in preaching today. Only believe seems to be the main preaching point emphasized when appealing to the sinners in most congregations today. The willingness to change the mind, which is repentance, should be proclaimed. The gospel message includes the fact that Jesus died for our sins. When someone understands that truth, they need to be repentant and willing to turn from their sins and turn their lives toward God. He will do the cleansing if we repent. Throughout the book of Acts, repentance is strongly and boldly preached to all. Paul calls the inclusion of repentance in his preaching the heavenly vision. We read this in Acts 26, verse 19 through 21, where Peter said this to King Agrippa. He said, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should look at this, repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. What Paul was preaching stirred at the people so much they were wanting to kill him. The heavenly revelation given to Paul included repentance and a change in someone's life. Most of the converts today never experience the change that only God can and will do in someone's life once they're saved. They only believe. And the Bible tells us that even the devils believe. James 2.19, James wrote it like this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. If believing was the only requirement in the salvation of a soul, the devils would be saved. We know that is not true and never will be true. Someone must be willing to repent of their sins, which leads to a new life in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, we read these words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. If someone never experiences the change that God produces, in a saved person's life, they are not saved. God always does his part when someone does their part. 
Someone may say that for anyone to include repentance in the salvation message is a means of works added to the message. Repentance is not a work, but rather a simple change in the way someone thinks about their sinful ways. A person needs to be sorrowful in the heart and change their mind about their sinful ways. When someone repents and their hearts turn to Jesus, God does the saving. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, we read these words, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You see, there's some that they're sorrowful, but they're just sorry they got caught. They're not sorrowful for what they've done against God or what, the, what their sins cost God's Son. They're just sorry they got caught in their sin. And that's the sorrow of the world. When it breaks our hearts that our sins place Jesus on the cross and we are willing to turn from our sinful ways, repentance will lead us to the feet of Jesus Christ. While repentance is not a work that earns salvation, once a person is saved, good works will follow. In Ephesians 2.10, we read these words, for we are His workmanship. Speaking of God, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The second thing we want to consider from Acts 2.38 is not just the repentance, but now the very next word, uh, repent and be baptized. The next thing Peter tells them to do was to be baptized. This is the point that has caused a lot of confusion and led many to preach baptism as a means to salvation. There are several things we need to understand to properly realize Peter's invitation message. First, this is what John the Baptist had been preaching. We read about this in Mark 1, verses 1 through 4. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Mark writes, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice, speaking of John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, look at this, and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What Peter is preaching is the revealed message during that time. The audience was primarily Jewish. The law was insufficient for the crime. And Jesus was the subject of the message. John the Baptist had been the forerunner to introduce Jesus as the Messiah to the nation of Israel and also to present Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. We read about this in John 1 verses 29 through 31. It says this, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, look at this now, but that he, Jesus, should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. The reason John was known as John the Baptist 
was because he started baptizing people, which was something that had never happened before. The Old Testament law was still a reality, but along came John, who started baptizing Jewish people in addition to the law. The law did not include baptism. The word baptized does not appear in the Old Testament. We turn the pages of God's Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and this wild preacher steps onto his pages preaching, repent and be baptized. It was the God-ordained message for the new transition. That is what Peter is preaching at this first gospel meeting, and rightfully so. These law-observing Jews needed more than the law could do for them. They needed to change their minds about Jesus Christ. That's the repentance. And to prove that they had truly changed their minds about Him, they were to openly manifest that change of mind by being baptized. To this day, if Jesus Christ is viewed as a reality to a Jew at all, He's only seen as a Jewish man who lived during the Roman occupation of Israel. And if they do acknowledge him, he most definitely was not their Messiah. Most Jewish people deny his existence altogether. Yet if a Jew does realize Jesus Christ is the true Messiah, and they openly confess him through baptism, they are excommunicated by their Jewish family and some are even considered as good as dead. Having a change of mind about who Jesus Christ is for a Jewish person is very personal and powerful. John Phillips writes in his commentary about it. He said, they, speaking of these Jewish people at this day of Pentecost, they needed above all to repent. That is, they needed personally as individuals to repent of the enormous sin their nation had committed. Repentance is a change of mind, a deliberate turning away from a previous course of conduct. Those Hebrews had to thus deliberately repudiate the sin of their, the Hebrew nation. But their repentance had to be expressed just as publicly as the national sins had been expressed. And the way to make their decision public was by baptism. That, again, took them back to the beginning, back to John the Baptist. Only now the baptism was to be in the name of Jesus Christ. There could be no hedging on the issue for this people. It was absolutely essential that they be baptized to prove their repentance and to publicly proclaim their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Peter is simply preaching the message carried over from John the Baptist, repent and be baptized. He has also included the gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in verses 22 through 24. Many in this Jewish crowd are ready and willing to do what the preacher has told them to do. Now Peter emphasizes the salvation that God will perform in their lives, the receiving of the Holy Ghost. Let's read it again. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost.
the one thing that really people miss about this verse is the very first word, repent. Until a person does that, there is no salvation. It's not the baptism that is the main issue. The main issue is the repentance. Look closely at Peter's message. Even when the message includes repentance, salvation is still a gift of God. This proves that repentance is not considered as a work on our part. Salvation is a gift from God to a repentant sinner. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To receive the gift of the Holy Ghost is another new thing introduced to these early believers. They had never heard of this gift before, but they were about to experience it. First, Jesus had to rise from the dead before the Holy Spirit could be given. We read about that in John 7, verse 38 through 39. Jesus speaking about this, he said, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now look what this is, this is going to explain that. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive future. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. This is what Jesus had talked to his disciples about shortly before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 14, verse 16 and 17. Jesus said this to his disciples, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. When the Holy Spirit enters a person, a definite change will be made in that person's life through the gift of salvation. As a matter of fact, if someone does not have the Spirit of God inside of them, they are not saved. Romans 8, 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. For anyone to claim that they are saved and they continue to live in sin without any conviction about their sin, whatsoever is proof that they are not saved. Jesus came to save us from our sins, not for us to continue to live in our sin. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says it like this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, look at this, soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Then he goes on in verse 14, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of someone, that individual will no longer be able to continue to live in sin without the Holy Spirit convicting their conscience about their sin. And once saved, 
If a child of God thinks about committing some sin, the Holy Spirit will prick their conscience before they commit the sin. Oh, thank God. Thank God for the Spirit of God on the inside. What would we do without Him? We'd be, we'd be, I mean, we'd still be doing the sins that we did before we were saved. And no wonder Paul wrote, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I can think about sinning and the Spirit of God start convicting me. Before I, before I even, if I were to do it, I mean, thank God for the convicting power of the Spirit of God in a saved person's life. I wish I could get me a witness right there. Someone may say, well, we all sin and we can't live a sinless life. While that is true, it is possible for us to get victory over our sins. If a child of God sins, we have a holy God living in us who will convict us. Also, if we sin, we have an advocate who will forgive us and cleanse us of all our sins. We read about this in 1 John 2, 1. It says, my little children, these things write unto you, look at this, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Then in 1 John 1, 8, 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faith, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and look at this, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These new converts have been convicted by the Holy Spirit. They believe the message they have heard and they make their decision to follow Jesus Christ. They are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, proving their unmistakable decision to follow Jesus Christ. It said then verse 41 says it like this. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This is how the church began. Jesus is building his church just like he had said in Matthew 16. It's supposed to be verse 18. Scribal error. And the world will be different. We are living in the dispensation known as the church age. God is transitioning from using the nation of Israel as his primary people to the church. He is not replacing the nation of Israel with the church as some would claim, but rather is establishing this new entity which will be known as the church of the living God in the world. He has a message and a mission for his church to proclaim and accomplish. As the book of Acts progresses, the message will be refined and become more inclusive. There's a lot of transitions yet to be made, and the book of Acts will walk us through those distinct periods of growth for the church. The church begins with Jewish men be preaching to Jews in Jerusalem. They're excited and content with the results, and who wouldn't be? I mean, 3,000 people getting saved. Let's, let's just camp out here all night and just shout the victory. But God has a bigger vision, which will include whosoever around the world. 
John 3.16 said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, that's, that's Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter, male, female, young, old, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know this as truth because we have a Bible. These early believers did not have a Bible. And they were not there the night Jesus proclaimed John 3.16 to Nicodemus. They do not know God's vision for the gospel of His Son. But as time marches on, they will come to know and grow as His vision is revealed to them. Does that make sense to y'all? that help y'all with Acts 2.38? Any questions? Comments? Well, y'all got it? Ready to go teach it to others? <laughs> oh, I, I love the book of Acts. It is tremendous to study it and to learn from it and understand exactly what's going on with God's church in those early days. Let's all stand and we'll be dismissed.